Counting us down, folks. Welcome to another delightful episode of Missouri Swagger. This is episode nine. 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 I always, like, I just guess and I'm always right. My brain. That must be a wonderful way to live. <laughs> it really is. I feel like it's sort of like, have you ever gone bowling? Yes. <laughs> when I go bowling. What a wonderful question. There we go, folks. <laughs> That's our topic for today. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not particularly good at bowling, but when I bowl... If I haven't been trying to bowl, to roll a strike, I can get up and be like, I'm bowling a strike. This, this, uh, what's it called? Square. The, uh, frame. Frame. That's it. I'm is bowling a strike. When, hey, is this when those, uh, those gates are down in the, in no. the gutter so that you can't no. throw a gutter ball? No. Because good for you. I'm man. not that bad. Like I'm, I'm mediocre, never bowls kind of a bowler. But if I decide when I haven't been trying that I'm going to try this time and bowl a strike every time, I can't do it twice in a row, but I can, I can throw one strike per game just by deciding to do it. And I feel like that's what happens at the beginning of our episode is I decide to reach down deep and figure out what episode it is without having looked it up ahead of time. Well, that's awesome. That's a wonderful talent to have. Uh, I'm not sure. It's a great story. I don't think it's going to get you anywhere in life, but good for you, man. Good for you. Uh, By the way, I'm a terrible bowler as well, so it's okay. Uh, I was only making. I can't do the spin thing. When I pick the ball, I basically use all of my shoulder strength and throw it straight as an arrow down the lane. So if it hits the front two uh, pins just right, I'll get a strike. But otherwise, Do you throw it like this? Oh! No, I mean, I throw it like a, but it's very, it's a, it's a lot of shoulder. There's a lot of shoulder to it. I'm you very. Do, does it help if you envision Avengers Arena characters as the pins? What? You you were breaking up real bad. I don't know what you just said to me. It's probably for the best. Everybody else heard me. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, I like I I like bowling. I'm not very good at it, and because I'm not doing it right, my shoulder gets very tired. So I get worse and worse as the night goes on. All right. Well, that's our episode, folks. <laughs> bowling. <laughs> no, um, I think today uh, it's it's interesting because earlier today um, someone posted a question on Twitter. Um, it's not exactly what we're talking about today, but it, it, it got me thinking about this. And and the question was, uh, for comics pros, if there's ever been a time that you felt like your career was over and you should just give up. Uh, and lots of comics pros said that, you know, commented when that was. I commented when I thought it was for me. Um, but I think uh, something that we should we should talk about that I think will be interesting at least for people who are interested in creating comics, maybe for people who are just process junkies Mm -hmm. is, uh, is how to pitch comics, how to go about the process of pitching comics and, uh, what we do and, and how we, uh, try desperately to stay employed, uh, over the years. That's important. Yes. Because, uh, you know, getting a job in comics is difficult. Uh, keeping a job in comics is, even more difficult, I think. I don't think it's uh, – people say that a lot, and I don't think it's more difficult. I think it's just once you get in, you you feel like you've made it, and then you realize, oh, this, i got to keep doing this shit. i got to stay at this, right? Uh, yeah, you got, you've got to keep you, – you can never be complacent. Right. And look, I, I, I've said this elsewhere. Uh, I think it's tough to stay in comics because it's an industry where uh, – you say the wrong thing and you're out. And I'm not talking about saying anything controversial. I'm saying 
you rub somebody the wrong way, you rub an editor the wrong way and you're kind of done, you know? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a small industry with a, you know, not that many people in it. So yeah, if you get a bad reputation, it's bad for you. And um, I've heard, you know, I've heard stories, <laughs> firsthand stories, uh, you know, of people who have been, who've lost jobs for the most seemingly, uh, innocent of things. And, uh, it's cost people jobs. So, uh, you have to always be on, on your guard and you always yes. have to be ready to go and you have to obviously be professional and not be a jackass. Right. Um, Which is hard for you. Uh, it's one of my, one of my greatest qualities is that I'm not a jackass <laughs> most of the time. Based on the Cullen Bun metric, you are not a jackass. Yes. On the Cullen Bun bell curve. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, my, I broke into comics in, well, I mean, my first book came in, I was seven, but my first paid work was in 2011. And I got Legion of Monsters miniseries, which is your favorite thing to reread to learn how to write. It's I was just a, looking at that again the other day. It's in my it's in my storage room, holding up a shelf, one Lego. <laughs> and then I got uh, X Men season one, at, which I think is the book that basically cemented me as having a career at Marvel um, at the same time. And while I was working on those, I had to quit my day job because it was just like the deadline. Which is funny that two miniseries was too much for me to do along with the day job. But uh, I had. To I remember. I remember being very bitter at you about Legion of Monsters. Yeah, that's why you read it all the time. I know that. I knew that at the time because it's a book that you would love to write and that was a weird thing for them to offer me based on what my samples were at that point. And I remember reading, I just always, I'm like, how? How? How did this happen? Why did they let Dennis inflict this upon us? It's a fun book. No, it is a fun book. But I do remember when you told me you you were going to be writing it, I remember we were at a convention. I think it was HurleyCon. Yes, it was HurleyCon. And uh, I was very angry. I was angry the rest of that convention. Yeah. Well, I remember thinking while I was talking to you about it, you would be good at writing this. And I think I probably said that because I have a tendency to say what's in my head. <laughs> and yeah, you were but, a little surly. But, you know, the interesting thing is that's it's it's what's interesting about that is that was an editor that you were working with. I didn't have a lot of contact with that editor. That wasn't an editor that I really dealt with a lot. And and I think that's another thing people don't really think about is that uh, at a company like Marvel or DC and even at the, the, you know, the independent companies, there are different editors who work on different types of books. And they may, you know, the person who's editing Legion of Monsters has never even had a passing thought about me, but they right. knew. So. Well, that, yeah, the interesting, that's where it was going with this, actually. Alejandro Arbona was the editor of that series, and he is the person who hired me for X-Men Season 1 while we were talking about that series, which were my two first paid books. And while I was working on that, I had to quit my day job. And then the day I put in my two-week notice at my day job, uh, Alejandro was laid off from Marvel. So my only editorial contact was no longer going to uh, be at the company and was not going to be able to finish the projects. So I, I very much remember um, being told by all of my friends who were already full-time comic pros, you're already in the door. Everybody's saying the right things. Don't worry about it. But I had basically no editorial right. contact from that moment until six months later when I got uh, offered Avengers Arena. Right. And that was a horrifying six months. Like, fortunately, my day job paid so poorly that those two books kept me uh, afloat for six months, like we replaced it, but I was just sitting there freaking out and, you know, pitching and, and doing creator own stuff and, and trying to get things going, but it was a terrifying six months. And so my goal since then 
has been to never be completely idle at any point. And yeah. I haven't, I've come close. I've come close. Like right now I've got um, a couple projects that are ending and I am scrambling. And what will happen is I'll be scrambling and a little bit worried about it. Maybe to the point of being a lot worried about it. And then as I'm about to run out, I'll get offered more stuff than I can do. And then you have to decide how to manage that. Cause you never, it never comes in at a nice pace. You never get like, Oh, this one will start now and you have a little bit of a break and you can get ahead. It's always like, do you want to do these five projects at exactly the same time as you're finishing those other things? And you always say yes to all five, right? Yes. Cause I do. I, I'm not as bad about that as you are. Cause I'm not as fast as you are, but I tend to say yes. It's hard for me to say no if there's not enough work, other work. So I try to just be like, yeah, I try to decide before I say yes. Can I do, is there something fun I have to say with this? And by the way, going back to Legion of Monsters, I take it all back. I had worked with Alejandro a lot. So he knew me and also decided that you were the better writer for Legion of Monsters. So, uh, thanks Alejandro. Well, that, if it makes you feel thanks good, for that giving book, Dennis work. That book did not sell at all, ever. Um, they recently packaged it with a uh, Bloodstone um, collection with a bunch of Bloodstone oh, yeah. characters. Um, and yeah, I remember uh, the editor-in-chief of Marvel came by my booth that year at um, New York Comic Con. And he picks up the Legion of Monsters trade, which I was very proud of. Like, I had just gotten it. I don't think X-Men Season 1 was... Maybe I had that too. And kind of looks at it. He's like, did we, when do we publish this? Like he had no idea that right. I had done this Didn't book like three months before. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was a tryout book. That's why I gave it to me. You were, you yeah. were leaps and bounds ahead of me career wise. So That's yeah. funny. Can I, I want to tell a story about that editor too. Cause it was, this is one of my favorite stories about that editor in chief. Okay. I don't know. Why are we calling him that editor in chief? It was Axel. Well, I know it was Axel. The world yeah. knows it was Axel. Yeah. So, uh, and and look, no, no mistakes. Axel uh, was very good to me at Marvel. Both of us, you at Marvel. Yes. Uh, so, uh, uh, but uh, my favorite uh, Axel Alonso story story at Marvel was he called me one day and told me that I was going to be writing Wolverine, mm. and I was super excited. I was like, Wolverine, that's perfect. That's the perfect character for me to be writing. I can't wait to to write Wolverine. And uh, I um. I was in New York maybe a couple of weeks later and I was going somewhere. I was walking with the editor of Wolverine and I said, I just want you to know I'm super excited about the project. <laughs> and the editor said, what are you talking about? What project? And I was like, well, Wolverine, you know, I'm going to be writing it now. And uh, she's like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. I've never heard your name associated with Wolverine. Was that Janine? Yeah, it was Janine. It's super awkward, awkward conversation because I felt super. Uh, I was obviously embarrassed, and she felt embarrassed. And I think it's just one of those things that got mixed up in the. Well, you did write Wolverine, so I, at some point that came out in the wash, right? Uh, yeah. Eventually, I wrote eight issues, but at one point it was supposed to be a lot longer. Right. <laughs> it, it was a there was a time at Marvel, and I, I've given Axel trouble about this because. There's a time when they'd come and they'd say, hey, you're going to be writing this character. And I'd go and I'd buy all these trades. I'd buy just stacks yeah. of trades to read up on that character. And then it would all change. And they'd come and say, oh, by the way, no, you're not writing that character. So I thought it was just Marvel's way of selling a few extra trades to me. Yeah. When I, I'm trying to think of what book it was I ended up getting. But before Guardians of the Galaxy had been announced as a movie, they knew internally that right. that, 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 that cosmic stuff was going to be big and they had a retreat and I'm, you know, 
good friends with Jason Aaron, and he told me, if you're looking for a book, cosmic stuff's about to be big. So you should you should get your head around the cosmic stuff. I'd never read any Guardians of the Galaxy or any cosmic stuff. Yeah. So uh, I had a phone call, I think with Axel or somebody coming up, and I, I torrented it because it was hundreds of comics. It was like 200 comics and read the entire Abnett Lanning, like, uh, infin- what's it called? Uh, something wave. Yes, the Annihilation Wave. Annihilation thing, start yeah. to finish. And every miniseries and every single thing that attached to it I read. And then uh I had that call and said that I was really excited. I, I love and I do love all this stuff. It turned out it was really good. But I said I loved all the cosmic stuff and this character and that character or whatever. And I still just kinda nodded his head. And then I found out later that Bendis had already gotten <laughs> the yeah. So that's the reason that uh Cammy from the Drax miniseries is a ba- one of the main characters in Avengers Arena because I had read all that stuff very recently at the time I got that book and loved her. So <laughs> her in the, yeah, yeah, well, Cammy's, this- Cammy's a great character. That's why she shows up in the Drax miniseries I wrote with well, uh, CM. You Punk. put her in the Drax miniseries because you love Avengers Arena, and I added so much energy and depth to the character. And Kev Walker's design was gorgeous. That's all true, man. I'm not. I can't argue with that. All true. He was an awesome character before that. Um, uh, so, no. so when you're, so it's different when you're pitching to you know Marvel or DC, because mm-hmm. sometimes with Marvel, usually, at least my experience, usually up until this point, has always been, uh, they come to you and they say, "Hey, we want you to do a story with Deadpool. What would you do?" Or we want you to do. In some cases, they've even said, "We want you to do, uh, you know, a story with this title." Right. What would you do? Um, and then you write a pitch based around that. And then also, but then on the other side of it with independent stuff, obviously you're just writing a pitch, putting it together, uh, without any, you know, any guidelines, your own stuff right. that you're putting together. So do you, how do you approach, uh, pro- approach those two things? I mean, yeah, Marvel, it has, because I'm not very prolific. And I'm, I'm actually way faster now than I used to be. I was looking at my productivity from a couple of years ago, but I've always thought of myself as slow. So right. I don't use a, I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what my next thing is until I'm almost done with my current thing. So I don't, a lot of people will sit around and you do this and pitch editors ideas and uh, on books and characters you want to work on. And I've never really done that until recently. Um, cause I never had the bandwidth. Uh, so it's always been a thing where like Nick Lowe called me and said, do you want to do Spider Woman? And I was like, yeah, I love Spider Woman. He's like, okay, well, we'll talk about what that is. And at that point I felt like I had the job, which is right. weird, a weird way to go. Um, but that's usually how it's been. And anytime I have pitched cold, like this last year, I've been wanting to get faster and, um, have been working on creator own pitches as well. So it's my head's in that headspace. And I've been doing these little short pitches to editors I want to work with. I never get that job ever. Like it's never once right. turned into that particular job, but I, it will make them think of you for whatever they've got. And then they offer me the thing. So that's how that goes. Right. And then, yeah. It, that's, uh, we were talking about that, not on a show, obviously. We were talking about that, you and I, uh, a while back, that sometimes it's good just to pitch, you know, the stories you want to tell and it at least gets you at the top of mind for those editors uh, or closer to the top of mind. Right. So, yeah, that, yeah I, I think that that's a really smart thing to do. Also, it just keeps you sharp thinking about, like, new ways to think about characters in the Marvel Universe so that when it comes time to pitch the thing they actually want you to do, that's that's how your head, your mind works. Right. Um, so my my pitches for Marvel for a while um, were getting very uh, very loose because I they call and they say, "Hey, do you want to write this this story about 
whatever. And I would just really rush together a pitch in some cases. And it was just, I'd type it directly in an email and send that in. Uh, while my creator own stuff, the pitches are often much more, you know, detailed uh, and and formatted in a certain way. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, more and more these days, I think my pitches at Marvel are becoming the pitches that I'm taking to them, not the stuff that they're asking me to pitch. The stuff I'm taking to them is still is, is a lot more detailed and formatted. I think. Yes. My mind doesn't work that way. Um, I, I like to leave it nebulous at, as long as I possibly can, which is part of the reason I'm so slow. I've gotten better at not doing that on the script stage, but yeah. So my pitches will be like my pitch for Jean Grey was basically just uh, <laughs> Marvel uh, team up with a bunch of people t- teaching Jean Grey how to be as good as adult Jean Grey was because something is coming. And, well, uh, and that's a good pitch for a book like that because you know, they came to you and said, what would you do with a Jean Grey book? That's a decent, you know, I think that's a decent. Right. Um, the problem is that I will, it, it, when I'm behind, I'll just be like, well, I know what this is instead of, you know, sitting down and actually breaking down the story. And that book, I think, really found its legs once we got the larger story cooking. Right. I, I had been able to bake a little bit more of that in uh, using Daniel Ketchum terminology uh, to the, uh, the first arc when we were doing the fun team of stuff. I wish I had been able to to bake a little bit more in. So I'm trying to be more like you. Also, getting back to doing creator own stuff, which I haven't done in a while, again, because my schedule. Um, right. Yeah. Well, before, before, just one thing. This is just my recommendation. Someone who is not writing for Marvel or DC, I don't really recommend them sending a bunch of pitches to uh, the characters to Marvel and DC. That's not. If you ask me how to break in at those companies, that would not be my first. uh, What I would recommend is your first course of action. I would recommend something else. I'd recommend work on your own stuff first. Yeah, make great. The only way to get in is to make great comics elsewhere, or make great something else elsewhere. That's how you break in Marvel DC. If you send them pitches unsolicited, they probably won't look at them, and you're going to irritate them. Right. We do it. They're they're already actively looking for us. They're already actively irritated with us, so it's okay. (laughs) I was told the other day by the talent uh, management, whatever Ricky's position is, that I am not annoying. I can't annoy them. It would take much more than I've ever done to annoy them. So I should. Huh. Ricky, say, you've never told me this. Never. You've well, never you're probably said, more irritated than You've never said I'm not annoying. Um, and I gave guys, you Ford Fairlane comics, a complete run of Ford Fairlane comics. There's no way Ricky doesn't love you. Well, those anyway. Ford Fairlane comics should have, you know, got me there. But yeah, creator own. Uh, I don't have anything. I don't know what that means. Yeah, um, but creator own books stuff, are more difficult. Are, yeah, my pitches are usually about uh, you know a page and a half, two pages for creator own. I've seen some very cool pitches that are ten, fifteen pages with you know art and you know really detailed stuff. But usually mine are about a page and a half to two pages. And uh, you know, if you go to my website, you can see some of them. I think I posted some of my. my uh, proposals on my website, but, uh, you know, they're pretty standard. It's, you know, I pitch what the story is kind of a, a high concept, a paragraph about it, you know, and then I, you know, break down the characters and I break down the story in a three act structure. And that's, and then often I'll put a little caveat at the end. If this continues, this is what would, you know, this is where it would go. Yeah. The important thing when pitching and this is obviously different at Marvel and DC, cause those are, Number one, they're perpetual second act stories. So you're not really writing to an ending. 
Right. Um, but you need to know the whole story before you can summarize the whole story. And I think we, we get excited by ideas and in our brain, we just convince ourselves we can fill in all of the blanks everywhere. Right. But it's going to be really hard to convince someone who doesn't live inside your brain that your story is going to be good if you don't know the beginning, middle and end well enough to summarize it in an interesting way relatively quickly. Right. Um, that was my big takeaway the first time I ever read. Well, that's true. First time I read story by um, Robert McKee was in high school and I, most of it was over my head, but I read it as a pro right before I broke into Marvel, like after it had published comics. And the big takeaway at the end was, he says, you need to be able to sit down someone that doesn't know anything about writing, tell them your story over the course of 10 minutes and have the only thing that, that they have to respond to it with is that sounds great. Right. Because if, if, if just a rube can hear your story and ask questions about plot holes in 10 minutes, you don't know your story yet. Like you haven't figured it out yet. Right. That's, um, that's yeah. good. And that's yeah. what pitches are. Did what? you ever go to one of those Robert McKee, uh, seminars? seminars? Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. I've always wanted to, but no. Yeah. I, I like, I think that, but people don't, a lot of writers hate that book because it's taking something they don't think should have rules and giving it rules. Yeah. I mean, and I see that point. I still think it's fun to, to, I think it's a, I think it's a valuable book to read. I know, uh, a lot of writers don't like like the Save the Cat book, which again right. I think is a good book for helping you determine. It's it's geared towards movies, but it's it's helpful when you think about how to put together a proposal for a a comic even or any project. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like it because they feel like right. it turns writing into filling out a Dungeons and Dragons character sheet or something. But I still think there's there's value in that. You just can't take it too seriously. I mean, you have to know when to break those rules, right? Right. But if you don't know them, you can't. I mean, it's all the stuff that our English teachers taught us. But the thing of the fact my is, my English teacher taught me nothing. Well, sorry, I had terrible. I had one great English teacher who was interested in fostering, you know, fiction writing and, and <clears throat> things like that. She was awesome. She was my 10th grade English teacher. And then she left the, the high school and the next two years of English teachers were ghastly horrible. Uh, I can't remember their names, but they were awful. And, uh, uh, but then, you know, college, uh, that was a, a whole different story. That was awesome too. I had a lot. My, of- my high, senior English teacher in high school took me aside one time after I, I got an A on a paper that I had written in my newspaper seminar, uh, which meant I read it in 45 minutes the day it was due. And after I got it back, I like, I'm like, I wrote that in 45 minutes, blah, blah, blah. And afterwards, she pulled me aside and she said, Dennis, that's not something to be proud of because everyone else in this class worked for their grade. Yeah. And imagine how good it would have been if you'd put as much work in as they did. Like what you're telling us is that you are so good at this that you can be wildly lazy and that's never going to get you anywhere. And that advice at the time, I kind of rolled my eyes at it. But once I got to a place where I was competing against other professionals and not just people who were forced to be in a high school English class, wanting to be better than the best was really important and yeah. already being good. And I think that already thinking you're good is a disease that a lot of young creators have that makes them not get better enough to get hired. And Thank so goodness. Was, I've never thought I was good. I never did after that. I mean, you know, once I got to college and got stomped down by the reality of, uh, uh, literary magazines, not accepting my, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, You're not good enough to be paid this zero cents per word page rate. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I got a lot of motivated me to be better. Um, yeah. 
and to work harder and to put more time in and to never rest on how good I am now. And I think that's the reason I have a career and the reason everyone I know has a career is that they're always striving to get better and not just yeah. relaxing on how good I, they are. Really. In high school, I was so miserable in my 11th and 12th grade years, uh, especially in my English classes, which for me, being a person who loves telling stories and loves reading, that was a terrible class for me to hate. Right. Um, but uh, I remember we had a, we were supposed to write po- poetry and I just, I was so disconnected with it all. I, uh, I, uh, I ended up writing, um, I just copied a bunch of Violent Femmes lyrics into a poem and, uh, from two or three different songs. And I just meshed them all together and, uh, the teacher loved it and she was going to put it in some sort of literary magazine locally. And I had to tell her, it's like, yeah, I just, uh, this is about the art, not about publication for me. So I'm going to have to pass on that. Cause you um, didn't want to be plagiarizing them. Cause time. I didn't want to be plagiarizing the violent films, uh, you know, where people, I didn't want to be called out on it at least. Right. Well, good for you. Good for you for stopping that. that ball. Hey, I stopped it with a lie, but Hey, it's okay. I mean, oh, it was a lie. You just doubled down. But right. yeah, when that, when that uh, English teacher was talking about her name was Miss Wares, Joanne Wares. I'm sure she still lives here. Uh, when she retired, um, I saw, I don't know what I, I figured out she had retired. I freaked out that I would never be able to thank her because I always planned on thanking her. Um, this is a couple of years ago, three or four years ago. Uh, I tracked her down via the school district and I took her to lunch and I gave her all my comics, but she would hate, like she would not like based on what I know about this woman's, uh, uh, tastes. She would not like them, but I'm like, none of this would exist if you hadn't given me a talk. When I was Which by the way, teachers like to hear that. If you had a teacher that was, uh, influential you should reach out and tell them because yeah i'm thinking about reaching out to my college professors you know because i live in the same town where they teach and uh there were a few of them that were really uh that fostered uh and challenged my writing and my interest in writing so uh, i need to uh i need to reach out they would probably also dislike the fact that it's comic books that i'm writing but that's all right she didn't didn't let on i just remember she didn't like a lot of pop culture stuff she liked you know, like real literature. She would always make us read uh, short stories. I don't know. Very literary stuff for high school. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. because we liked a lot of trash, but anyway, she's that's got a stack of them somewhere. She can take credit for it. That's what high school does. Um, so have you ever had to do a bake off at a publisher where uh, probably yes. Yes. So uh, a bake off just so we're all, everybody knows that's when an editor calls Dennis and then they also call me. And they say, we want you to pitch whatever, this story. And they compare them and see who does a better job and who they're going to hire based on that. And they're super stressful. Uh, what did you do one for? Cable and X-Force. Ever, what was it? It was Cable and X-Force. Uh, oh. so it was my, and I got, that was one of my two first ongoings, which I got at the same time. And it was very stressful because, number one, because I was already working on Avengers Arena and I thought, I was, I was freaked out about whether or not I could do two books, which I, I should not have. I shouldn't have taken it. Uh, I remember also, that. I remember those days when you were freaked out about that. And also the person that I was up against was a good friend of mine. Um, it's still a good friend of mine. Was uh, it me? No. No. It was a good friend that uh, went on to very green pastures after that and does not need to have had that book, so it's fine. Oh. Uh, but at the time we laughed about, like, and, and he was cool and wasn't worried about it when I got it. It wasn't a thing. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, the only time I did one for Marvel was uh, 
uh, for I did not get the book at Marvel, and that was for uh, the Legion book, the X X Men Legacy that was Legion as the star. Oh yeah, uh, and Cy Spurrier went on to write it. He was probably the right choice to write it for that kind of. I mean, I think he 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 had a, a very cool story to tell with that character. Mine was a little more traditional, although I still think mine was a pretty good pitch. But Cy was the right right choice for it. When they made a TV show out of his, version. right, right. Well, they could have made a TV show out of mine too. That's true. I could, but uh, no. Uh, I think you know that was the first one I ever I ever did. And then at DC, I did a Bake Off on Sinestro, which I did end up writing Sinestro. <clears throat> um, uh, and then just recently, I was asked to pitch a book, and uh, it uh, it uh, the the interesting thing was uh, a friend of mine had called me several days earlier and said, Hey, I'm pitching this cool story. Let me tell you what I'm pitching. And they were pitching for the same book. So I actually, I ended up turning the, the, the publisher down on that. I was like, no, I just can't pitch against this friend of mine, especially knowing what they're doing. I, 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 I don't feel comfortable pitching, but, uh, but bake-offs are terrible. I think I hate them. I hate, I hate knowing I'm in the middle of one. I might've done more, but I don't want to know that I'm doing one. Yeah. I, it would be stressful. I, mean, I don't remember that time was so stressful and I already had another book. So I remember like trying to convince myself not to get worried about it, but I mean, it's possible I've been in one before. I can't remember. I like, once again, I'm not very prolific, so I don't get asked to do a lot of stuff that I don't end up doing because I They don't like throw nine things at me, you know? Right. Um, right. I did end up in a bake off on shadow man. Uh, way back when Valiant was first launching, I did a pitch for Shadow Man, and it was while my Marvel stuff was was heating up, and there were long waits every time I would turn something in. And at one point, I was very behind on something, and so I waited nine days to respond, and then it turned into a bake off, oh. and I lost. So I did not yeah. get that book. Uh, but the person who got that book went on to do good stuff with it, so it wasn't a big deal. And I have repurposed everything I wanted to do with that for a creator owned pitch that I have now that I want to do. Nice. That's a well, problem. The, Is there a swagger time? So what have we learned? What have we learned about pitching comics? It's, Keep thinking of new ideas. Don't ever get complacent. Yes. Do your own thing, and Marvel and DC will find you and put you in a bake-off with Dennis and me. And, and you will lose. Somebody will. Someone always does. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm talking about the audience member will lose. You and I will win. Maybe we'll co-write it just because we can. Right, right. Here, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody what this is, but I, it's funny. It just popped through is a response to a pitch I just sent a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to say what it is, um, but I'm going to tell you if I got the job or not. So you don't know yet? No. Oh, my God. We're going to watch. Your soul's either going to glow or die. All right. The answer is it's looking good, but I got to – it's looking good, but I've got to uh, – add a few pieces for the publisher themselves. So good. More work. Congratulations. More work. That's what we want. All right. Missouri Swagger. You want to hear Missouri Swagger story? Whose, whose story is it? Yours? It's my turn. Do it. Uh, I don't really have one uh, queued up. So I'm going to tell a story uh, that occurred to me the other day. Um, I have a very strange cholesterol condition that I will uh, blame on Missouri and on my eating habits as a child. Uh, I'm being fed a lot of butter cooked things, but my body does not process bad cholesterol. Um, I got, I've been freelance uh, my whole career, so I never had good insurance. 
And after my kids were born, I went to the doctor to find out, uh, to get a blood test, just to get like a, a normal checkup. And my bad cholesterol was more than double what it was supposed to be and was the highest number the woman had ever seen in a living human being. So high that when I searched it, the only people online who had anything been close were like people dying of cancer who were like septa and octogenarians. This is very bad. Um, and I had to change my, my eating habits a lot and my lifestyle a lot in order to, uh, to survive. So I take medicine and I eat right. Right. But I, I'm not very close to my dad's family because my dad's been dead since I was 20. Uh, and I found out that this is a genetic condition and that chances are other members of my family, uh, you know, could have the same problem. So I reached out to a cousin to be like, Hey, I just want to, you know, I don't want to really talk, but I want to let you know that I have this genetic condition. It's very dangerous, makes it very easy for me to have a heart attack. Um, I have the amount of plaque currently in my heart of a healthy 65 year old man. That's where my plaque situation is. So I reached out to my cousin and my cousin's response was, Oh yeah, we know dad just had a quadruple bypass and uncle Dan, his heart grew a new artery to make up for the fact that there wasn't enough blood flow. And like both of our grandparents apparently had died because of this. Um, and she's like, that's all right. The Lord will take care of it. And then she posted like a yam bake recipe <laughs> on Facebook. It was full of butter and sugar. Can right I get now. that recipe, please? <laughs> yes, um, you got to eat more butter to push the butter through your veins. <laughs> so it could just give a shit. I mean, she's very religious and she genuinely believes the Lord is going to take care of it, uh, which is the most Missouri answer ever. But yeah, the fact that like five minutes later we had that, that butter bake recipe. And they're all still alive, so maybe I'm a fool over here eating chickpeas. No, uh, because you know I, I've told you this plenty of times. I uh, I admire that commitment to your diet and everything that you have because I think around the time this you got diagnosed with this mm-hmm. condition, my cholesterol was super high as well. I mean, it was as high as my doctor had ever seen, right. and then I heard what yours was, and I was like, oh my. <laughs> well, that's- <laughs> It's nice knowing you, Dennis. Right. Let's record a bunch of Missouri swaggers real quick because it's never <laughs> going to happen. Um, but uh, I have such a hard time sticking to uh, the diet. You know, it's it's so hard for me. It's uh, it's miserable. I love fried foods. I like them too. Uh, fortunately, not really fortunately, but my body has grown so accustomed to eating so clean because I went so crazy at first that I am, I'm like intolerant of everything now. So when I do cheat, it makes me so miserable for so many hours that it's real easy to not do it again for six months. Um, which is, it's sort of nice, except for during those six hours where I have like debilitating heartburn and I don't want to get up off the couch. Um, so yeah, I would recommend just not eating anything tastes good for, a year, and then your body will be like, oh, this is all we can handle. <sighs> That's tough. I mean, I like healthy foods. I just, I like yeah. variety. And I end up not... You eat healthy food. most of the time. What? You eat healthy most of the time. You're not like... A most problem. of the time, but then I... But the problem is, once I fall off the wagon of healthy food for like two weeks, I'm eating nothing but solid grease. I mean, it's... It's everything's deep fried. But, I, you know, I try. I'm just... I can't... I don't have the willpower to... to I'm weak. I'm weak is what I'm saying. You're just human. You're you're a delight, Colin Bunn. And fried food is good, and you're in the capital of fried food down there. Man. I'm excited. So CaveCon is coming up. I don't know why you won't promote it, but I'm going to promote it. I've been pro- – I, I don't want people to – I was going to uh, – I was going to end the episode and say, what do we want to talk about? 
what exciting thing. And CaveCon. What I'm excited about is this weird Springfield chicken. Uh, the Cashew chicken. Cashew, yeah. Springfield style cashew chicken. Springfield style cashew chicken. If you're here for CaveCon, and you should be, everyone should be, if you are within driving distance of several hours, this is going to be a heck of a convention. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be filming Missouri Swaggers all weekend long. Um, Dennis is going to have some cashew chicken. I think the only reason Jasmine's coming with me is because of this. We uh, she read online about the Springfield style and to cashew see me. chicken. Well, she yes, yeah, she does love you. And then there's like the, those billboards of the cave with the weird uh, cartoon. Fantastic caverns. Yes, fantastic. It's awesome. We'll it, used do that be, it used to be a speakeasy, and then it was a place where they did uh, hoedowns. It's awesome, right? Yeah, um, we're gonna do it. it is fantastic. In fact, uh, but yeah, uh, we'll talk about. It. I'm gonna, uh, I'll send you a message. We're gonna figure out when you're here and how long you're staying because we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna have some cashew chicken, and uh, that's that's the big thing. If you haven't had Springfield cashew chicken, it's completely different from any cashew chicken you've had anywhere else, unless you ordered specifically Springfield cashew chicken. It was invented here in Springfield. You can you can Google it, and it'll tell you a whole story about the racism that led to the creation of Springfield Cashew Chicken. Well, now I feel bad about promoting it. No, it was good. The, the guy opened a um, Chinese restaurant or whatever. Jeez Eastwind. Yeah, and nobody would go to it because people were super racist about Asians at the time. And so he changed the menu to be more palatable to... He basically said, how do I put fried chicken and gravy in a dish and make it... Right. Chinese food and uh it is delightful. He and and uh G's Eastwind is no longer here in Springfield, but just right down the street from my house is another restaurant that is connected in some way to the people who cooked it who who created cashew chicken. So we got you taken care of, don't worry. Excellent. Well I'll be there. We're gonna shoot a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. Crazy. Uh but yeah, uh KCON's gonna be awesome. Uh if you uh if you're in the area or near the area, please come. It's the last weekend in September. CaveConSpringfield.com. Uh, we have a ton of amazing guests, some who have never really appeared in this area, and we have Dennis Hopeless. Um, you know, we have we have a great guest list. I think it's going to be real exciting. We got tattoo. We got a tattoo parlor set up. You can go in and get your Missouri Swagger tattoo. Bam. Yep. So, uh, yep. if we get a certain number, I'm not going to tell publicly what that number is. Uh, if we get a certain number of attendees. I've never had a tattoo in my life because my body obviously is a, a temple. Yes. Uh, but if we get a certain number of attendees, I have agreed that I will do at least one sleeve of tattoos, not at CaveCon because that's insane, but yes. I'm going to, over the next year, I'll get a sleeve of tattoos. If we reach our, uh, our, my goal that, uh, of what I'd like to have. One of those has to be Missouri swagger. Of course. Yeah. It, yeah. All the tattoos, if I do a sleeve, everything's going to be tied in some way to um, my independent work and, and stuff like that. Missouri Swagger will be on there. Obviously. Awesome. All right, uh, folks. We've talked. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, see ya. If you like the video, uh, subscribe or hit the little thumbs up yes. or both. Tell your friend. And if you're listening to this uh, on iTunes, like through the podcast version, yeah. we want we want reviews because yes, the more reviews you review. get, the better. Review it right. positively, negatively, whatever you think. Yeah. But review. Yeah. Talk about whatever you love my accent dennis's hair if you're listening to it how dennis's hair sounds we don't care <laughs> all right guys thank you so much see you later